Want to create a fun and interactive quiz so you can build your own list? Check it out at tryinteract.com and use code BIRD15 at checkout for 15% off. Hi, I'm Priscilla McKinney, host of Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast. I'm here today with Jill Bishop. She's a friend, a colleague. You're going to love hearing from her today. But she is a linguistic anthropologist. So whoop, whoop, shout out for anthropology, finally. (laughs) We're not just nerds. We're wonderful people. (laughs) And we do good things in business. There you go. I love it. I love it. So she's also a former UX researcher, and she is now the CEO of Multilingual Connections, which is where I got to meet her. They are a global language solution company that helps companies understand, engage, and grow their multilingual audience. So there's a lot to unpack in there. She does a lot of great things. But we have gotten to know each other over the last year in the market research space. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, But the fun fact is is that Jill and I sat down and had uh, lunch together face-to-face in Chicago yesterday, and then we come back into work, and here I am in Joplin, Missouri, talking with you on our podcast. So that's fun. And you're lucky that you missed the snow. It's Halloween in Chicago, and it's snowing horizontally right now. Oh, man, I just missed it. Just missed it. Well, welcome to the show, Jill. This is going to be super fun. Thank you. Let's kind of dive in with your experience, because I actually really enjoyed finding out a little bit more about where in the language world you landed, kind of what your path was. So give a little bit of background uh, to, you know, to my audience about, you know, just the language school and some of the and the really interesting work you were even doing at Chipotle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was originally a high school Spanish teacher and thought that's what I wanted to be forever. And I realized a few months into my first year teaching that I wasn't done learning and started to look for um, graduate programs um, in second language acquisition. But I stumbled upon linguistic anthropology. And it was like it was just such a wake up of um, that the, the, there was something like that out there for me, somebody who was really fascinated by language and culture and that there was a way of bringing those two together. And so I wound up um, getting a doctorate in that specialized in uh, a dialect of Spanish spoken by the Spanish Jews who were exiled from Spain in 1492 in a language that they still, their descendants still continue to speak. And I thought I would stay in academia, but through a variety of of decisions and opportunities, it took me in all kinds of different directions. Um, First to uh, Sapient uh, in Chicago, where I was a user experience researcher for a number of years. And then um, I wound up working for Chipotle Mexican Grill. I was hired as a culture and language consultant, which again was kind of just uh, unbelievable that something like that existed that was such a great fit for everything that I was interested in doing. So I was brought on to Chipotle to help oversee language and culture programs to really help engage and grow the Spanish-speaking employees by teaching them job-specific English so that they could do their jobs better, um, move up within the company, that customers could get the right burrito, the right time, the right with the right amount of salsa and cheese. Uh, and we were also teaching Spanish to the restaurant managers to help create a better, more productive uh, and engaging environment for the employees. This is so cool to hear that this is what a company was investing in. And now I will stop and say, I heart Chipotle, so I'm so glad that my burrito is being made right. So this is no, this is no, 
small thing. Absolutely. When that's your job, when your job is to make a burrito, there are very, there are really important things that you need to be able to understand. And so you might not need to be able to speak about nuance of, of life and politics at a water cooler, but you need to understand spice levels and quantities and customer service. And, and so it was really inspiring um, to see the investment that this company was making in their people. And they weren't doing it just from an altruistic perspective. They knew it was the right business decision, but it also happened to help people out in a very quantifiable way. Yeah. And so it was, it was super exciting to be involved in that. And um, after about a year, I started to think about ways that I could do this uh, more flexibly to raise a family, to have more ownership in, in the work that I was doing, and to provide the service for companies that didn't have these types of programs already and a dozen people working in these programs. And so I started to plan my exit. And so when I originally started my company back in 2005, uh, the exclusive focus was customized workplace language training, going into hotels, restaurants, manufacturing facilities, and doing job-specific English or Spanish. Uh, but after a couple months, uh, somebody I went to college with called one day and said, hey, can you translate a website on bankruptcy into Spanish? And I was like, well, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, See? Yeah. You know, the way that many of us grow our businesses, somebody calls and asks for something, you have no idea how to do it, but you say absolutely and you hang up and you Google it. So, um, so that was the beginning. Although, come on, Jill, you didn't Google how do I speak Spanish fluently? I mean, these no, are skills. Do, yeah, that is true. But I wasn't a translator. And so even then, despite relative fluency in Spanish, um, I wasn't, I knew that I wasn't the right fit for something so specific. And so I found a translation agency uh, to outsource that to, but then I started to realize that there was an opportunity there, um, on translation. And so it was never a focus of the company, uh, or initially, uh, it was just, this is an interesting side business to support the language school or the, the language programs that we were doing. Um, but very quickly we got more and more, uh, requests for translations in multiple languages. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I was still home-based at this time. I had a young child at home. Um, but as we got more and more, um, as we grew more and more client requests came in and I hired people that worked in my basement, uh, my son thought they actually lived in the basement, um, <laughs> <laughs> I realized that it was time to move out of the basement, come above ground. And so when I opened our first office, I started to think about ways to help with the rent and other things that we could do that were more creative and kind of building on the work that we were doing. So I opened a language school. Uh, we had programs for adults and for kids. We did on-site programs at schools and summer camps. Uh, when Chicago public schools went on strike, not the strike that they're currently on, right. but in the past, we held a strike camp for kids. And it was a great way for me to do work that I really believed in, uh, work that helped support my own son bilingualism. Uh, and um, and things just kind of grew in all different directions. So we had corporate language training, adult classes, kids classes, and then our increasing translation services uh, that started to involve uh, transcription and subtitling. So it really became a lot of a lot. And then um, in 2015, I moved the business to Evanston, uh, just north of Chicago, closed all the language programs, uh, which was a painful decision for me, but an important decision for the business. And um, here we are today, um, focusing on translation, transcription, and subtitling in about 75 different languages. Well, okay, l l this is why you and I are kindred spirit. First of all, as a kid growing up in Europe, my like dream job, like uh, fantasize about being a UN translator. I just wanted to have like that funky headset on. And of course. <laughs> So we are such language nerds. It's cool. It's cool. <laughs> but let's go back for a minute because I don't think a lot of people understand linguistic anthropology. And if, if you're not multilingual, you know, and just fair is fair, they don't really understand 
it's not this word for this word. It's not it's not an exact translation. People say, oh, just use Google Translate. But let's talk to people, kind of explain a little bit about how that doesn't work. And I, I'll kind of give you a really good example. You know, you talk about, you know, giving people these life skills of how do I understand, you know, at Chipotle, real life, you know, someone wants just a little bit of just a little bit of sour cream or something like this, you know. And, you know, I moved to the Midwest at one point as an adult and people say a, a scotch of something. That's, I was just going to bring that up. I had never heard of skosh, but that was a word we had to teach people because that was used. And yes. so like, you know, and actually one of the most stressful moments of my professional life was during my training at Chipotle when I had to work the lunch rush on the tortilla press. Mm-hmm. Um, and thinking about how hard of a job that was when English was my native language and thinking about putting somebody who doesn't have all of that language and cultural context in that right. same position and trying to understand exactly the nuance of what people are asking for and what truly is a skosh when you're working <laughs> the salsa station or the or sour cream and cheese. Absolutely. You have two people who speak English and one person doesn't even know what skosh is, but you do have exactly. to have that cultural understanding. So let's talk a little bit. Let, let's kind of start with the uh, fun and funny. Do you, do you recall like kind of a funny translation mishap or something like that that really kind of puts this into, into context? Absolutely. Well, there are issues that have happened and that are that are well known within the lore of of marketing blunders. So Kentucky Fried Chicken's finger licking good campaign in China was translated as eat your fingers off. Um, (laughs) Ford's every car has a quality body. I think in Belgium was every car has a quality corpse. So there there are things where, um, you know, obvious blunders, not well researched. And, um, and those, those problems, you know, it's an embarrassment. It's huge mm-hmm. embarrassment, not to mention, um, a, a money loss to, to companies who spend lots of time and money getting these advertising campaigns out. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's the cultural side too. So for example, um, Pampers in Japan, it wasn't a translation issue, but their marketing featured a stork delivering a baby. And that's a very familiar folkloric concept in the U.S., but that's not part of, of Japanese folklore. And so to um, to parents potentially buying diapers with this odd bird with a child wrapped in <laughs> a is, diaper. What why is, is this familiar? bird stealing my baby? <laughs> exactly. Which direction is the stork going? Exactly. And so, you know, that those are it's so important to understand what. Um, who these people are that you're marketing to. Um, Something that I just came across recently was... uh, was uh, not a mistake, but um, with IKEA, they had a bunk bed that was named after a town in Sweden. Uh, nothing wrong with that until they started to market that bunk bed in Germany. Um, the name of the bunk bed is, it's spelled G-U-T-V-I-K, so Gutfik. Um, but in German, it's good. F. And so, you know, not <laughs> not something when you're selling bunk beds to parents, you know, so so that's both um, that's not a pure translation issue, but it's really thinking about what's the best decision for my brand now. But where might I go in the future? Yeah. Um, turning the lens back on us. Funny, painful, funny was a new project manager who was doing a huge project in 10 languages many years ago. And um, one of the languages was Chinese, but she neglected to confirm from simplified versus traditional Chinese. Um, one, the writing system for, for mainland China, 
uh, one for other regions, and she wound up using the wrong translator for the wrong dialect or the wrong written system in Chinese. Um, it was a 200,000 word project, oh. and it was thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to retranslate it uh, in the right script. And so it's so easy to, even for a professional translation project manager to make a mistake like that. So it really requires a lot of detail orientation and understanding of who your ultimate um, target audience is. Right, right. Okay, well, I have a couple in there I'll throw in, and then let's talk a yeah. little bit about how this affects uh, the MR world. But you remember sure. the, the infamous Chevy Nova right. that in Spanish means doesn't go, it <laughs> doesn't budge. Perfect. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, but this is one of my personal favorites. Um, so I grew up in Spain and there was this missionary who came. And of course, you know, they're just fresh out of language school. And, you know, so the I was in I was in church and the pastor calls on this lady, starts talking about, you know, the couple and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, in, in introducing him to everybody. And then she stands up and she says, estoy embarazada y es culpa del pastor. Right. And so, you know, this is a really common mistranslation. Americans think embarrassed means embarazada, which actually means pregnant. So just so you know, don't stand up in church and say, I'm pregnant and it's the pastor's fault. (laughs) So that's my real life like translation nightmare. I watched it happen. Those are life lessons. (laughs) So let's talk about MR specifically. So you're you're a little bit newer to the market research space, but, uh, you know, surveys, there's translating a survey and you think about, you know, a survey in itself is designed to be a quick shorthand. Can I get a quick answer from you? But then also there's qualitative, very long formatted. You guys transcribe and also you you translate transcriptions. Um, and so there's a lot of complexity there. But, you know, when someone's getting, uh, you know, there's there's a survey or, or an open-ended uh, qualitative uh, uh, interview, there's translating it one direction and hoping that the person gets the context clues, the regional clues, the cultural clues to really get what you mean in the words. But talk with us a little bit about the importance of how you translate from then their original language back into, in this case, you know, English is probably probably what you do a lot more for the final language, you know, so that the company knows what to do, how to make the next global decision. Yeah, well, it's, first of all, it's it's so important to think about translation from the get go, it often winds up being an afterthought where people wind up scrambling uh, and deciding to cut corners because time and budget. And uh, honestly, translation is expensive. When you do it right, it can be very expensive. And so I've heard customers tell me that the translation component was more expensive than the entire project itself. in all phases. And, you know, it depends on what kind of, you know, how many surveys, how many interviews, it can be really costly and take a lot of time. So you need to think about it and plan for it, but also see if there are ways of, of cutting down costs. Um, you know, the, in the world of um, of AI and, and technology and machine translation, a lot of companies are coming up with that where they're either crowdsourcing or doing MT. Um, and there are, there's a place for that type of work, but it's, it's not typically at this stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's so important to make sure that your tra- your um, surveys are translated correctly. What we recommend to clients, especially around budget, is to be as smart as possible about how they're spending their money. So um, when something is coming out from the client, we always recommend two linguists involved in a translation. So one to translate, and then the second to do an editing and proofreading step to make sure that everything is proofed and polished because it's outgoing content from your company. It's your voice and your brand. And even if it's on the research side, you want to make sure that it captures all the nuance and is, is, is fully accurate and is, is going to represent the initial intent of those questions, um, you know, as, as much as possible. You don't want to 
risk a poor translation and then that jeopardizes the quality of of all of the responses you might get really good responses but it wasn't to the question that you meant to ask yeah and the goal isn't responses the goal is insights from the responses so if you really miss something a nuance about what a respondent is telling you from the study then you really miss the purpose of the study Absolutely. And on the, on the way back in, when we're translating survey content back into English, we always use professional translators, but we do, um, that's a place where we say if, if money is tight and timelines are tighter, um, let's not have that second editor and, uh, proofreader that that's incoming content. It's for informational purposes. You're still going to get accuracy, but it's not going to be proofed and polished. Don't spend the time and the money there. Spend the time and the money where it matters. And of course, then if you're going back and you really want to dig in and uh, if you're looking for quotes for a report, you know, maybe we'll, we'll go back then and do some editing and proofing and polishing to, to clean it up. But in most cases, uh, researchers want it quick. They want the quick and dirty version. It's still, again, still accurate because you're using professional translators, um, but you're not necessarily doing the editing and the and the proofreading. Right. Um, as far as transcription goes, um, this is obviously a growing area. Um, so for focus groups and in-depth interviews, we have hours and hours and hours of content. It used to be that um, there, there were very few translation agencies that worked in transcription because uh, it just wasn't that common to do. I myself have about 240 hours of, of video in multiple languages and boxes in my basement. And I wish at the time that I was doing my doctorate that there I had known that there were transcription agencies. Um, I actually wrote a blog on the transcription agency owner goes barefoot, kind of the um, mm-hmm. the shoemaker's kids go barefoot that I myself um, didn't, didn't outsource this when I could have. Um, but we help researchers who have hours and hours of content get that transcribed and translated as quickly as possible. Uh, and so in, in that situation, when you've got audio, let's say in French, um, you can transcribe the audio from French into French and then translate the French transcript into English. Or you can go much more quickly and directly by taking that French audio and going direct into English. It's much faster, much more affordable. Um, You can still have a second round of editing if you need to, but oftentimes we advise clients just skip the editor for now take a look at the at the one professional transcriptionist um, pass of, uh, of transcription. You're going to have enough insights. And then if there are areas where you want to go back and dig down and see if there's any potential nuance that was lost, we can go back and do that. Um, but we want to advise our clients to be, be smart about it, not to skip these, not to, not to forego professional translation when it matters, but to think about the different ways that that can look. Translation plus editing and proofing, just translation. Transcription plus editing and proofing, or just transcription. Make smart decisions so that you can use your money wisely and uh, not get hold not get held up um, from a time perspective. Because yeah. I know you want to just dig in and start to do the analysis. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, tell me a little bit about how you accomplish so that's a, that's an interesting approach and it is like okay in some ways it's it's a little bit of your listing of services but it's a little bit of this is how we think this is how it has to be set up at the beginning this is what you have right. to know going into it and i love that kind of let's have the whole conversation up front here but i also have entrepreneurs who are listening so let's talk a little bit about how you've been growing your team globally because this Absolutely. is a conundrum for a lot of people you know especially with translation or or anybody who's providing services globally you have to be serving it you know serving your clients um, throughout the time zones, um, but also you have such a specific niche need all the time. So tell us about your team, where they are in the world and how that's growing. 
Absolutely. Well, initially we were all based in Chicago uh, and one employee uh, after a couple of years with us was moving to Mexico and she said, I don't want to lose my job. And I said, I don't want you to leave our company. And so I gave her one of our VoIP phones and uh, and she took her job with her uh, and was with us in-house for a number of years. She actually just came back after uh, a few years uh, in different directions. Um, but that was our first experience with a remote employee. And it was crazy at the time to think, wow, could I really have an employee in another company or in another country. Uh, but with Google chat and a VoIP phone, she was extension 105. It was no different than having her work from home, you know, a mile or two away. Uh, and that kind of opened our eyes to the possibility that down the road, we could potentially have other remote uh, employees. Uh, in this situation, we knew her first before she went remote. In recent years, we've hired people that um, we've never met in person. Um, so we now have three employees in uh, Turkey, uh, four in Egypt. We have somebody in uh, South Korea, Yemen, Peru, Guatemala, Mexico, and and then three throughout other U.S. states, and many of them we've never met before. And so it's um, we see them all the time on on Google Meet. We have a lot of interactions throughout the week so that everybody feels connected to each other. But it's been a great model for us in terms of being able to have additional in-house linguistic and cultural resources, um, have additional time zone coverages, holiday coverages. We used to have standard U.S. holidays where the office was closed, but we realized that for our global team, those holidays aren't relevant. And so it would be better for them to have the option of working those days, which helps our clients right. who don't always take those holidays off. And then our team can take holidays that are more relevant to them culturally. Um, so, you know, Memorial Day, Labor Day, we're open for business and we've got people working and then, you know, they can take off their time when they need to. Um, but it's amazing to see how um, how this has expanded um, our the time zone coverage and our ability to serve our clients and provide much faster turnaround rounds um, because of the, our locations, you know, where we are. And then also having those in-house language experts has really helped us grow in, uh, in key languages. Mm -hmm. And your Turkish employees, yeah, they don't care about Memorial Day, but they do have the best coffee. So they do, they do. And they've sent us baklava. And, oh, you know, come on. And, um, yeah. And we need to go and visit them. And we're also working on um, developing a plan to bring people here. Um, we, my husband and, and son and I went to visit our team in Egypt last summer, which was great. And they were so happy and felt really um, valued that we took the time to come and see them. And it was so important to be able to hug people that you've been working with for a year, you know, yeah. really get to know them, share meals, see yeah. what their lives are like a little bit more than, you know, we can guess from from across the world. You told me something interesting, though, that you you grab a cup of coffee and that you're trying to reach out to all of your team to have really nice one-on-ones, even though they're virtual literally getting a cup of coffee and and having that casual conversation i think that's a pretty cool you know, that's a pretty cool idea. Where'd you get that idea from? That was just um, me trying to think as we become bigger and bigger, I don't interact as often with everybody as I used to. And we, for years and years, every Tuesday morning, we had a 15 or 20 minute huddle. And so even with people remote, we would, everybody would dial in, we'd see each other and we'd talk about something that was going on, you know, personally, professionally, just kind of getting to know each other. Um, and that was fine when we had 10 or 12 people, but now with 25 people, everyone takes a minute or two to share what they did over the weekend 
and it's, you know, it takes an hour out of your day. And so we, we started breaking up into smaller groups so we can make sure that there's, there's consistent communication and collaboration and just friendships, um, across groups. But I miss the, I miss seeing everybody and I miss knowing what they're up to. So, um, my husband, who's our COO, he and I decided that we'd start to do these virtual coffees, um, so that we can spend time not talking about work, but just chit-chatting. Uh, and I've encouraged some of the others in, in the office and, and outside of the office to schedule those with each other as well. It doesn't have to be just something from leadership, but from everybody. So that if there's somebody that you know and you haven't interacted with them in a month or two, schedule a coffee. It's just like make that time and make those connections. Right. And I'd like to point out that your husband, the COO, today we're recording on Halloween and he is addressed as a cow. He is dressed as a cow. It's um, it's a Target. I got it on clearance at Target like ten years ago for ten bucks, and it's just it just keeps coming back. So, well, we talked about you know how you have remote employees, and like you, you know, I don't start out with remote employees. That's not where we started, but you know, I've had fantastic employees. Is my second one now who is needing to go somewhere else because of a family situation and, and, and they don't want to leave and we don't want them to leave. And so right. today's one of their uh, last days. And uh, uh, Leighton, who's our podcast producer, he'll be working out of Kansas City office. Um, but he he loves all of Wes Anderson movies. And so our only obligation today was dress from a character from a Wes Anderson movie. So I am Richie Tannenbaum today. From Perfect. The Please send a picture of that after. Um, it'll be, it'll be on social for sure. <laughs> and actually, um, on the note of, of um, Halloween, we're having costume party in a potluck, but we are involving our remote employees and there are 14 of them. And so at noon, our time in Chicago, we're all going to be on video and we're including them in our contest, our, our costume contest. That is so um, awesome. Do you get to do some of their holidays? Because they've got some great holidays. You no, know, we haven't, but we absolutely should. Um, in December, we do a white elephant gift exchange and we involve everybody and we ship the gifts so they get to all pick a number and choose. And so we were able to circulate the gifts for the white elephant and then we send them to them in their country. And so um, we're, but you're absolutely right. We should be celebrating their holidays as well. <laughs> Super fun. Well, let's talk about where you're going to be. Uh, you're, you're going to Epic, right? But are you going I to TMRE? I can't remember. I'm going to Epic uh, in a week and a half. Uh, so that's an organization that focuses on ethnographic research in industry. Uh, so I'll be there just in a week and a half in Rhode Island. Uh, then I will be at uh, Quirk Chicago, uh, Qual 360, and MRMW, and likely a few more. But those are the ones uh, that are that I'm committed to so far. Awesome, awesome. Well, let's let's wrap up just real quick with um, some rapid fire. Um, I asked you before we came on um, uh, to think about your favorite podcast, your favorite app, your favorite book, and your favorite blog. So let's get to know you a little bit. Like, shoot. So okay. podcast. Are you a podcast? Some people aren't podcast listeners. Well, I've I've started. Um, so typically, I'm alternating between Today Explained and The Daily, but I listen to it at 1.2 speed because I'm so yeah, short on time. I know. Um, but it's really hard for me. I listen to it when I walk. Uh, I try to go for long walks or walk to and from the office, but then my mind will go off in a different direction and I'm thinking about work or I'm, I'm starting to come up with some, some other priority. And so I have a hard time bringing myself back. But I, but I do enjoy getting really short, focused snippets that are so in depth and engaging. I love the daily. That I, I listen to that every day. I think that's fantastic. That's the New York Times. So yeah. you travel uh, quite a bit, and also obviously being in translation, it, I'm kind of curious what your favorite apps are. If they have anything to do with your work, or if they're just personal. 
Um, I would say Google Keep I'm in constantly, and that's for work and for personal. Um, so everything from shopping lists to vacation planning to work priorities. It's not that interesting, but it's really, really helpful. <laughs> no, you know what's interesting is things that are helpful. That's <laughs> totally interesting. Okay, so is there a current book you're reading or listening to, uh, or is there one that you just kind of constantly come back to that you think is a real winner? Well, it's, it's one and the same. So, um, and it's, it's also a business book. Um, so it's not, I mean, it's, it's so important, but it's, it's, it's not fun, but traction by Gina Wickman. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's, um, it helps companies create and implement business systems. And as we've grown and changed and as our leadership team has gotten more sophisticated, we, we've, we've been struggling for focus for the business. And so traction is a, a one of many systems that helps you focus, uh, create systems systems that you roll out within the organization, setting goals that everybody understands and buys into, setting targets. And um, so we read it. We Our leadership team meets weekly um, to focus on a different chapter. We're still in the early implementation stage of it, um, but it's been really helpful in forcing us to just get focused um, and uh, and really be intentional about where we're going next year yeah. and beyond. Yeah, you're, you're really carving out something very different. This is, I'm sure some people listening are like, that's interesting. That's, that's an unusual job. I didn't really think about, you know, who, who does this, who puts everything into a different language. So, um, yeah, so you're really trying to figure out where can you get traction when you are really spread across the globe so heavily. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So uh, are you a reader of blogs or is that not something you follow? Um, I would say right now, as mom of the middle schooler, scarymommy.com uh, helps me feel a little bit better. About really? really? What, what is it's that one about? It's uh, all, uh, it's it's kind of laughing about uh, being a parent. Uh, so it kind of when when moments of challenge comes up, it, it kind of puts things in perspective. So <laughs> I would. I love that. I love that. It's not for everyone, but okay. once in a while, it just makes you feel like, okay, all right, this is good. I'm not alone. This is like how, yeah, this is having to try, right? This is how I feel with you. So, <laughs> and, you know, we were talking the other day too about, you know, you know, especially you, because so many of your people work remotely, but, you know, a lot of times we're in meetings by ourselves, we're on planes by ourselves, we're on, you know, and so it can be kind of an isolating life. So I'm sure that that blog probably helps you feel like, oh yeah, there's somebody else out there. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Very, very and on cool. the business side, you know, having opportunities to talk to other business owners, um, no matter what the industry is, there's so much that we can learn from each other and share strategies and support. And I really enjoy every opportunity like yesterday uh, to do that. I know some people, you know, I go to see them when I'm in town and people are like, well, what's the meeting about? I don't know. What do you want it to be about? Right. <laughs> you know, I just, you want to have connections and I know we're all busy. I, I get that. And you can't always make it work. I, you know, I certainly don't pop into town and think someone, you know, owes it to me to come have a coffee or something like that. But if you can possibly make it work, it is changing the way we do work to say, you know, we don't always have to be sitting down and trying to do business. We could also right. sit down and be human. Absolutely. And just getting out of your office and away from your computer and just having a conversation that, that you never know what, what one conversation or one, one connection can bring um, personally or professionally. Right, right. Yeah. Just connecting to each other. Kind of like Scary Mommy, right? Yeah. <laughs> Let's start Scary CEO. <laughs> 
that's really exciting. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Okay, well, check her out at Multilingual Connections. And, of course, uh, Jill Bishop, she's um, available on uh, on LinkedIn, so you can connect with her there. Um, that's usually where she and I chit-chat. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and, and if you have questions for her, yeah, just send them her way. And um, and what did I miss, Jill? What's something that's interesting that's going on that, that I wouldn't have known about? Oh my gosh. Uh, I just, there's just so much change within this industry and it's, it's really exciting to see. And, you know, at the same time that people talk about, uh, machine translation is, you know, is it a risk to the industry, um, or, you know, to professional translation, it's just, it's another tool that companies are considering using. And also the, the increase in need for translation means Mm -hmm. that the, and, and nuanced translation, you know, we, the ability to connect meaningfully and understand where nuance matters. I use Google Translate all the time when I'm chatting with a friend of mine in Israel, uh, when I'm too lazy to to read the Hebrew or I'm not sure that I understand it correctly. Mm -hmm. There's a time and a place for all different types of levels of translation or automation. Um, But, you know, it's it's just interesting to see how much the industry has changed and what went, what originally was viewed as a threat is just, another opportunity as the need for translation is growing and growing as oh, the need for that. connections are growing across the world. Yeah. I love that. It's not a saying absolutely not automation or absolutely not Google translate. It's that that's not enough for really, you know, uh, for a lot of what truly happens in business. And absolutely. you know, it's funny you say you use Google Translate. I'll tell you the, the little cheat I use it for when I'm too lazy to do all the different accents. Oh. <laughs> In Spanish, and I'm like, oh, or I could just type it here, and then I have the accent. And then you just copy paste it in. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you, you got to be careful. Every once in a while, Google Translate gets it wrong, and I'm like, no, that's not, that's not it. It absolutely <laughs> does. And you know, the the risk is it sometimes it gets it absolutely right, but you don't know when it gets it wrong. It might look mm-hmm. right, but you don't know if it truly is. And right. so that's that's the scary part. You just don't know what you're trusting. Well, Jill, I'm going to see you out on the road this year, and um, thanks absolutely. so much for. having having lunch with me yesterday. It was fun to get Thank to you. talk personally with you face to face. Always a good Absolutely. time. Glad you had the snow after I left. Thank you very much. <laughs> Pleasure. <laughs> but Jill Bishop from uh, Multilingual Connections, thanks for coming on the show. And from all of us here at Little Bird Marketing, have a great day and happy marketing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.